You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. So hey, today we're starting out a new sermon series, The Attributes of a Godly Father. And if you're here this morning and you say, you know what, uh, I'm not a father, I, I, I'm a woman. And so if you're here this morning, ladies, this sermon series also applies to you for many different reasons. One, if you, are, if you plan on having a family someday, this sermon applies to you. Especially if you are a mom and you have boys in the household, this sermon applies to you. If you're a single woman and you're here We're going to be describing the kind of godly man that you should be dating, you should be seeking, that you should look to have a marriage with. But specifically, this sermon series, obviously, is the main focus is on men. In our society, there's this weird interpretation of scripture that is running rampant right now that means that in order to be a Christian man, you must be a soft, weak man. And I just want to first start out this sermon series by saying that is unbiblical, because a part of the reason, what the scripture tells us, especially in, in Proverbs 1, which we're going to be getting to in a couple weeks, is that if there are no godly strong men, the evil men run rampant. Come on, somebody. Somebody's got to be getting this this morning. When there are no godly biblical men, evil men will reign. And the way that they reign is obviously unbiblical, evil, and oppressive. And I believe that right now what we're starting to see in our culture is there's a shift that's happening where godly men don't understand the definition and what it means to be a godly man. So we are simply sitting down and being quiet. And do you know who's standing up? Evil men. As human beings, we are molded and shaped by who our father is to us. There's no way around this topic that who your dad was, who your earthly father is, played a role in your development. I remember years ago, um, one of the sports that I enjoy, I I enjoy martial arts sports, I enjoy watching uh, boxing or UFC, and I remember years ago, there's this one UFC uh, champion, just a bad dude, went undefeated, his fights never finished, there was always a submission or knockout that happened, I mean, this guy was just, he was your definition of a tough guy, just a bad guy, and so he finishes the fight of his life, earns this incredible title, he is now the champion in his way division and just an incredible moment. And so we're sitting there watching this happen and they give him the mic and, you know, we're expecting some kind of great speech, some kind of motivational speech about his trainers, about his, his wife and his family sticking by his side, about how difficult the fight was. And I'll never forget the moment when this fighter, this full, this full grown adult man, this tough guy looks at the camera and screams at the top of his lungs, see dad, I did a amount to something. And in that moment, I'm reminded that no matter how tough you are, no matter how big and bad you are, if you have fatherhood wounds in your life, they will come to surface. The experience that you and I had with our earthly father is important. Because here's the reality, our perception of God the Father is often based off of our experience with our earthly father. Let's pause real quick. Men, 
when you're at home and your children are, walk, are, are watching you and listening to every word that you say, you're giving them an impression of who God the Father is. That is a huge responsibility. Often our perception of who God is is based off of who our perception is or our experience, what our experience has been with our earthly father. For example, there's a few different types of fathers that I, I want to preface before I read the different types of, of fathers real quick. For some men in the room, it's going to feel for the next couple minutes like I'm reading your mail. You're going to be like, my wife talked to him. <laughs> I assure you she did not. But let's talk about the, some of the different types of fathers that you may have had, that, the different types of father types that are represented in this room and how they impact the way that we see God the Father. For some in this room, you may not have had a dad. Maybe he passed away and he was an honorable man. Maybe he passed away and, and died in a line of duty, a, a police officer, a, one of our, our, our military uh, fallen soldiers, how, whatever it may have been, he, he wasn't there. And so the concept of a dad being present is one that is just a dream to you. It's foreign. It's a foreign concept to you because you never really experienced what it was like to have dad in the home. For some, maybe it's your experience has been you've had a terrible father. Maybe he wasn't honorable, he wasn't there, so you've been figuring out what this father thing is by looking at others and taking on the character of whatever male figure was closest to you in your life. Therefore, it is difficult to imagine that God is present in your life and him being good, and it might even be difficult for you to sing songs like, good, good father. Some have had a passive father, and, and, and this individual was a very good man, he was a sweetheart of a man, genuinely kind, but he did not lead. There really wasn't a set list of standards in home life. It was kind of like, do what you want and don't get arrested, and even if you do, well, we'll figure it out then. Typically, these kinds of men, although they're very kind, very sweet, they didn't have a backbone, let alone a spiritual backbone. Therefore, you don't know what it's like to have a father who stands up for you and your family in times of need. Siblings were most likely in this kind of household, they were allowed to party, they were allowed to sleep around as long as they didn't come home in a cop car. And again, even if that did happen, we'll figure it out then. A very passive but gentle, loving father. Therefore, your view of God is one that is based around the fact that God is very nice, but he isn't bold and he doesn't really care about standards. For some in this room, you've had an aggressive, domineering, always pushing father. When he comes home, the house braces for whatever mood he's in. If he's unhappy, which most times he is, you'll sense it the moment that the door slams shut behind him. He provided a paycheck for the family, but that was really his only contribution. Didn't spend time with you and your siblings, always in arguments with your mom, couldn't resolve a conflict to save his life. If you had a father like this, your view of God may be that God is power hungry and leads with an iron fist, and that he certainly isn't loving. Maybe some had a tolerable dad. He wasn't horrible, he wasn't bad, but he was okay, and he did pretty good. He wasn't awful, he wasn't the best, he did okay. Therefore, your perception of God is most likely that he's okay. He's not great, he's not bad kind of agnostic. He might be there. And some very well may have had a great dad. 
He took you to church and spiritually led the family. He was present. He knew when to be tough and he knew when to be tender. He loved your mom and set a great example on what it is to see Christ loving the church by the way that he loved your mom. He worked hard and provided emotionally and spiritually for the household. He was well-versed in the word of God and he lived it. He was philosophical and full of wisdom and yet relatable. He pursued you in an evangelistic kind of way. And if this was your dad, I just want to state this morning that you have a unicorn. You have a unicorn as a dad. That kind of father figure is a biblical definition of who men we are called to be, but unfortunately is very rare. And I don't think that it takes a whole lot of research to look at the culture around us and see the damaging realities of the abuse of fatherhood, or the absence of fatherhood. If you'll remember last summer, every time you turn on the news, the news would find whatever riot was happening in town. And there was one of the things that I noticed is that there was a lot of angry young men at these riots. And every time that they would interview these young men, they were there, but there were no parents around, right? I'm sitting there going, if I ever tried to do something like this when I was their age, my dad would have been dragging me by my neck home. Anybody else have a dad like that, right? You're like, oh my goodness, my butt is sore just thinking about it. It doesn't take a whole lot of research to find the damaging effects of fathers who didn't uphold a biblical standard. And if you've had this kind of unicorn experience, this very rare experience with a dad, I want you to understand something, that you have to be a little bit compassionate with me this morning because the reality is this. There are others in the room today where the term good dad is made up. It is a fantasy term. It doesn't exist. Here's the reality. We all have some type of fatherhood wound in our lives. And this is dangerous because fatherhood wounds will open us up to what is referred to as an orphan spirit. And when people walk around, I believe one of the most dangerous kinds of people is a man who's walking around with an identity crisis. Often those that struggle with this kind of loss of identity, loss of sense, worth, purpose, identity, and they're self-destructive, They're at a high risk of abusing the term fatherhood. And Jesus recognized this feeling of abandonment and sought to bring comfort. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 14, verse 18, he said this, these very words, I will not leave you as orphans. Because I believe in this moment, Jesus recognized that a group of men who feel abandoned are dangerous to the world and the family unit around us. The reason why recognizing a father wound is so imperative is because a father wound on earth blocks our view of our heavenly father. I want to say that one more time. This is so important to talk about because if we don't talk about an earthly fatherhood wound, it's going to block our vision of who our heavenly father is. Your view of God the father will impact the way that you father The way that you lead your household will be impacted by the way that you view God. The way that you love and treat your wife will be deeply impacted by the way you view God. 
the way that you see yourself, all of these things revolve around who God is to you and how you see him. My point in stating all this this morning, friends, is this. God wants to heal you of every father wound and give you an accurate perception of who he is. As you see God for who he is, he will enable you to forgive your earthly father, which in return will allow you to grow closer to God the Father like you've never experienced before. So in order to understand who God is, we obviously have to talk about the attributes of God. What, what is he like? Again, one of the, most, the, 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 one of the verses in the Bible that I'm just most jealous for is all the way back in Genesis where it says that Adam got to walk in the coolness of the evening with God through the garden. What was that like? Like the amount of questions, I just feel like God would look at me like, calm down, redhead. All right, calm down. Like, why'd you make this? Why'd you, what's the deal with snakes? Why are they all weird? Like what? Sloths, Why? The amount of questions that I would have from what was it like to walk hand in hand with the, in the coolness of the evening, just hearing God the Father's thoughts. You know, I believe that God has a sense of humor because he created humor. And I believe that God the Father has some of the most incredible dad jokes we've ever heard. And I look forward someday to being in eternity and asking him what his best dad jokes are. Who is God? What is he like? What are the attributes of God? We can see the character of God through Jesus and have these questions answered. John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So let's talk about for a couple moments this morning, what is Jesus like? Well, first, obviously, compassionate, as we see in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. He had compassion for others, and you have to understand how profound and how incredible this is that Jesus has compassion for you and I. How does somebody who's perfect have compassion for someone who is imperfect? When you and I look at who Jesus is, I can't help but be intimidated. He's perfect, and yet he's relatable. Why can he, how can he be relatable? Well, it's first, it's through compassion. He still looks at us with compassion and without shaming us, even after our mistakes, and even knowing that we're going to make mistakes. Jesus is also meek. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, and I want to state this clearly. Meekness is not weakness. Can you say that with me this morning? Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. I remember one of my youth leaders when I was a youth pastor, he was um, on his way to becoming one of the top guys in MMA, and um, he was very skilled and just had these, this scary skill set. I remember I, he was probably 5'5", five five, I'm 5'11", five he probably weighed a buck 40, I weigh 220. And I start shoving him, and I'm like, what you got, man? Come on, that bad mistake. 
And so I start shoving him, and I'm like, I got like almost 100 pounds on this guy, right? And so I start shoving him, and he and I start getting into this little wrestling match. And next thing you know, I'm, my body is contorted in ways that God did not intend. <laughs> and I'm on the ground going, get off me! And I'm like, that was a coincidence. Let's do it again. Six rounds later, I start to understand that this guy has a very interesting skill set. And he and I get to talking, and I remember he, he and his buddies are telling me this one instance of somebody on the, on the street, he ran into a belligerent, drunk individual who tries fighting him. And Stephen, he refused to throw a strike or a kick. And I want to tell you that this individual is very skilled in Muay Thai, he could kick an apple off your head if he wanted to. And he refused to throw any kind of strike. And I'm like, why would you do that? Me? I'm like, <laughs> done, right? And he's like, he goes, Pastor, I just felt like it was an unfair advantage. And I'm like, who cares? But Stephen had strength under control. He didn't abuse the skill set that he had. And it just blew my mind that he had that much self-control that he apprehended this individual and they called the police that came and picked him up. He had the ability to take this guy out. Friends, that in a nutshell is meekness. That's what it is to be meek. It doesn't mean that you're weak. It means that it's strength with the maturity to be under control. Jesus didn't fly off the handle without reason. He's gentle. He isn't abrasive. He didn't force himself obnoxiously on others. Have you ever met somebody who you can't wait for them to pause so that you can walk out of the conversation? You ever been encountered by a salesperson? Sorry for those of you who are in sales. Just abrasive. When I walked through the promised land, Cabela's, um, <laughs> they have these salespeople who are, I don't even know what they're selling, to be honest, I just never pay attention, but they're selling some kind of getaway and whatnot, and there's just this feeling of, and you, you all have been there, I know you have, where like, they're coming to give you your sales pitch, you're like, hey, look over there, like, whatever you can do to get away from the conversation, because you know it's going to be kind of abrasive, it's going to be pushy. That wasn't Jesus. He was meek. He had one of those personalities that you wanted to sit down and get to know. Jesus also is bold. Luke chapter 19, verse 46, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Jesus took a stand for truth. He brought order to the house of God. He didn't let abuses continue. Come on, somebody. This, in a nutshell, is also what it means to be a godly man. That the godly men do not let the abuses of mankind continue. But that the godly men take a bold and righteous stance to stop abuse for others' sake. Jesus didn't allow evil to silence him. He addressed the issues boldly. 
Jesus is humble. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Nothing ruins character like arrogance. Am I right? Have you ever met the person that's the one-upper? Come on, somebody. They're like, I just got a new truck. They're like, oh, I just got a new bigger truck. I just got a new house. I just got a bigger house. The one-upper, the arrogance. It ruins character, but that wasn't Jesus. He was humble. Jesus is loving. John chapter 13, verse 23. He loved people, genuinely loves them, and I love the fact that he loved sinners. You can most often find Jesus at a table with sinners, people who are rough around the edges. Jesus loved people. And sometimes we get this mental image of, well, of course Jesus loves his people, his Christians. No, 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 no. He loves people, not just inside of the church. Jesus is a servant. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, the Son of Man came to serve. He was never too important to do something. Jesus is also authoritative. Matthew chapter 7 Verse 28 through 29, and when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Jesus carried authority. And you have to get this beautiful image of just, he's humble, he's meek, he's bold. That is the perfect kind of person that you want to have authority because they can be trusted with it. Some this morning, maybe you're gathered here and you know without a doubt that your earthly father could never be trusted with authority because it would be abused. Can I tell you that God is the good father because we can trust him with the authority that he already has. Jesus is a strong leader. Mark chapter 1 verse 27 through 28. Leaders lead others. That's what Jesus did. Leaders teach others. And good leaders are wise and worth following and learning from. This is Jesus. Walking around with crowds of people asking him about leadership. And he teaches leadership in all different kinds of ways. But Jesus is a strong leader. Jesus, and I understand that this term, this next one might catch some individuals off guard, but allow me to explain Jesus is battle ready. Matthew chapter 16 and Revelation chapter 19 proves this to be true. Jesus uses very strong language that proves the fact that he is battle ready. For example, he talks about his church and he uses military descriptions where he says, my church is going to grow, my church is going to endure, and hell itself cannot even prevail. That's a strong statement. That's not a statement that says, we're just going to sit and wait and hope everything turns out okay. Jesus is the opposite. He's not just on the defense, he's on the offense. He's like, my kingdom is going to expand. We're going to put fear in hell. I wish someone would get this this morning. He talks about overtaking the kingdom of earth. Jesus uses military illustrations multiple times in scriptures. Jesus references battle and weapons of war, waging war against the enemy. 
In Revelation, Jesus rides a horse. And this isn't just a gentle gallop around the property line. Those of you who have read their Bible, you're getting this. Especially the part about all the blood. I've actually had people who have fought me on this kind of teaching. Saying, no, 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 he's gentle, he's, he's peaceful, he's calmed down since the Old Testament. And I'm like, yeah, Revelation really turns out happy, right? <laughs> Cross the rainbow bridge in Revelation, I tell you. In Revelation, Jesus rides on a horse bearing a sword and wages war on the enemies of God. And he defeats them, and to put it bluntly, he kills them. And because he kills the enemy, because he puts Satan where Satan belongs, peace can therefore reign. Jesus is masculine. And we're going to talk in a couple of weeks about a biblical definition of masculinity because now in, in, in our country, in today's time, it's the abusive guy who comes home, cracks a cold one, and sits down on the couch and yells out and demands orders. And can I tell you, that's just a demonic perception of who men are created to be. That is just a demonic vision of who men are called to be. Jesus is a warrior. He's our protector. He's referred to as our champion. I am so sick and tired of seeing pictures of this skinny, buck 20, six foot tall, Caucasian Jesus, who's whiter than me, walking around with his Air Jerusalems on, <laughs> teaching peace. And if somebody punches you in the face, you bow down. And all of these crazy, I just can't even get into it all today. As if we're called, that every time that we stand against evil, as if we're called to bow down to it. That's not what Jesus did. All he did was shake things up while he was here. And he's still shaking things up, by the way. I'm convinced that I have the greatest church in the world. I'm just saying. Jesus is forgiving. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. The cross, of course, represents this. In Jesus' final moments after he has been beaten, after he has been stabbed, after he has been constantly tortured by man, he looks up to heaven and says, Forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. You can argue a lot of things on doctrinal positions, but you cannot argue that Jesus is not forgiving. By Jesus being forgiving, it means that we, we never have to carry shame, we never have to carry embarrassment, but we can come freely and openly to Jesus. Worship team, you can make your way. Jesus is truthful. John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This is a heavy stated truth, which Jesus never shies away from, no matter how big the crowd is. As a matter of fact, sometimes he would state a truth and the crowd would go away and he'd kind of look at the remaining group and go, are you going to leave me too? 
He stated heavy truths, and this should give us comfort because it knows that we're never going to be manipulated through exaggeration. Sometimes we look at the statements of Jesus and we're hesitant to come to those statements or rely on the statements that Jesus made because, oh, he was just using poetical language. It's just an exaggeration. No, it's not. By Jesus being truthful, it means that we are never going to be manipulated. When you and I sense the presence of God, and I will admit that the presence of God often is experienced physically and emotionally and spiritually. And sometimes, guys in the room, when you've experienced emotional abuses of the past, whether it's from your earthly father or others, when we start to have an emotional experience with the Lord, we shy away from it and say, no, 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 I'm not going to be manipulated into that again. And can I tell you that it's worth leaning into because Jesus is truthful. He'll never manipulate you. We just talked about some of the character of Jesus, and I want to bring this back around to the main point at hand. John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been with, among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen God. Has seen God the Father. Jesus represents the character of God the Father. And here's what this means. In modern day Christianity, you're going to hear a version of the gospel that sounds like this. The God of the Old Testament is very angry and revenge driven. And then Jesus comes in the New Testament and calmed him down. And then we see Jesus and he says, you don't understand. If you've seen me, you've seen the character of God. They're not separate. Come on, somebody. It's not like we have to be fearful to come to God because he's this revenge-driven, blood-hungry tyrant. And then Jesus calmed him down. As a matter of fact, you will find account after account after account in the Old Testament of these attributes of Jesus, but they're coming directly from God. The fact that God didn't wipe us all out in the Old Testament is an act of grace. And God gives grace time and time again. You cannot read the story of the Israelites and back away and say, oh, God, there's no grace in that man. It can't happen. I promise you, you'll get frustrated and you'll probably root for the other side of the army. We're like, God, why don't you just wipe them out? And then we start to understand that the Israelites are an example of us. And the grace that was given to the Israelites of the Old Testament where they screw up and they mess up and they start running after demonic practices and they start abandoning their faith in Jesus and there's generations that rise and there's generations that fall and it's this roller coaster. And you sit there frustrated going, why can't they get this? And it's this beautiful picture of the grace that God has for us here and now. Some of you have been bearing this weight where you can't even sing a song that says God's a good, good father because you've been convinced that he's not. And God wants to remove that burden off your shoulders today so that you can be the man of God that he's calling you to be. 
Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus comes down to our level and builds a bridge so that the constant back and forth throughout the Old Testament can come to a rest through grace. And I'm reminded of this moment that I recently had with my daughter where I had to get down on her level. Cadence, I don't know what the deal was with my, with my four-year-old, but there was just a day not too long ago where she just wasn't herself. Cadence is the sweetest girl. And that sweetness wasn't present. And rather than sweet, it was more like, you know? Like parents were like, I love you, but I'm going to go get the anointing oil and perform an exorcism if you don't stop. And that was kind of cadence. And so I just felt like the Holy Spirit just said, I want you to get down on her level and speak the following thing. So I get down on her level, and her and I have a conversation. I say, honey, I love you more than anything. But how you're acting is not who God has created you to be. And I just felt like God in that moment starts giving me this prophetic word. Parents, your words over your children matter. Don't ever joke about, oh, they're so bad. Oh, they're so horrible. Oh, they're always going to get into trouble. Stop. Give a child a title and they'll live up to it. Life and death and the power of the tongue. Don't forget that. So I sit down and looking at Cadence, I just feel like this prophetic word, and I just, I look into my daughter's eyes, her beautiful blue eyes, I just say, God has created you for an incredible purpose. And you're going to be an Esther in your generation. And you are going to lead God's people into places that they never could have imagined. Don't act like this because he has so much more for you. And it was like her whole demeanor changed. And there was just something powerful. Parents, there was something powerful about walking up to my four-year-old and doing this. Getting on her level. And can I tell you that the story of Jesus is where God gets on your level. And he says, okay, let's talk about this. I have a better way for you. I have plans for you. And the story in the New Testament is Jesus, men. It's God coming down, providing a way to get on our level because we weren't able to figure it out before. And finally, he comes down and says, okay, we're going to get rid of the old covenant. This is the new covenant. Now we can have perfect relationship. That's a good father. That's a good father. That's a father worth following. That's a father worth trusting. And that's who God our father is. The role, I, I conclude with this. The role of a godly man is to walk in wholeness. And wholeness can only happen through the healing work of Jesus. Today, God wants to heal your heart of any earthly father wound so that you can finally understand the goodness of your heavenly father. That he's for you, not against you. Men, no more hiding, no more excuses. 
Accept what you've learned about in regards to who God is. Repent and get to know him. For the sake of the world around us, for the sake of your family, for the sake of your marriage, it's time to deal with this thorn in the flesh. For far too long, guys, we're putting on this perception of I am whole. And your lifestyle does not reflect that. You and I were created for his purpose. You and I were created for his purpose. And a part of wholeness is discovering what all that purpose is. Would you stand with me this morning? Friends, the role of a godly man is to walk in wholeness. And it's a process, not an event. Wholeness is not a destination. It's a process. But it's time for the men of God to rise up. And whatever hole has been in your heart that you've been trying to fill with things, people, hobbies, I don't care what it is, you know. It's time to allow God to fill that void. And it's also time to finally lay down whatever damages have been caused by your earthly father. It's time to lay those down, put those to rest so that you can receive an accurate perception of who God is and how good he is. And as we close, you might be asking, well, how do we, how do, we do this? You repent and you return to Jesus. It's that simple. You and I come to the table in our, in our prayer life. We repent and we start saying, yes, God, I will live by your standard and not my own. We start saying yes to the things of God and what he tells us in his scripture. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, help us because we recognize that we are not enough, but you are more than enough. So in these next couple moments, as we close by singing this next worship song, Lord, I pray that, that men in this room would begin to feel that, that wholeness in their lives, that whatever hurts may have been caused, whatever trauma has been caused by our, our earthly fathers, Lord, I pray that you would just mend that brokenness in these next couple moments as we begin to just prayerfully say, yes, Lord, I will. Whatever, whatever you're calling me to, Lord, I believe that right now you're beginning to just call men to a higher standard. Maybe they haven't been exemplifying the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on and so forth in the home life. Maybe you're calling them to that. Maybe there's some there's unforgiveness in the room this morning where there's been an earthly father who's really damaged somebody in this room. And now it's time for healing to take place. It's time to let that grudge go and move forward so that we can grow closer to you. Lord Jesus, help us to be the godly men that you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name we ask. This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at c3lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.